Welcome. You are listening to Mountain View Scattered. This is an audio companion to our weekly church gatherings. It is a way to stay connected while you are away and to learn more about our community, how we can best reach and serve it. I'm your host, Wade. So today we are back in Isaiah, and it does seem like kind of a strange text to be in, right? I mean, okay, yes, we have Isaiah 53, and Isaiah is the fifth gospel as it is known, but why would we stay in Isaiah? Well, if we were to look back at Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, we see the first promise of a Redeemer. We see one that is going to crush the head of the serpent, and yet he will be bruised as he does it. We see in Genesis 12, verse 3, a promise made to Abraham. And in that promise, we also see that Abraham will somehow bless all of the nations. Then we see in different places, Psalm 2, Psalm 22, references made to a son. We see references made to the Son of the Most High God, and one that is never rejected by God. But it's then, when we get here to Isaiah, specifically starting verse chapter 40, rather, chapter 42, on through the end of the book that we continually see glimpses of a Savior, of a Redeemer, Even though in chapter 53, where we will end up this morning, we finally get to the point to where we see a very clear picture of what this Redeemer is going to do on our behalf to fulfill all the promises that God is making to us. So as a reminder, our big idea here in Isaiah is that sin leads to judgment, but God saves sinners. Sin leads to judgment, but God saves sinners. We're going to see in these passages that Isaiah tells of the character of this servant, tells of the mission of this servant, the method by which this servant is going to complete his mission, and many other things about him. One of the things that we saw over the last couple weeks is we saw the sin of God's people. And in seeing the sin of God's people, the law held up to them like a mirror. We also saw our sin. And last week we saw a man who was unholy being brought before the Lord And all he could do was declare his unholiness. And there was only one person that could make him holy, that could atone, cover over his sin, and make him righteous, and that is God himself. And he had to do that with something outside of Isaiah, right? Something that was foreign to Isaiah, namely in a hot coal we saw in chapter 6 of Isaiah. But this week... We're going to do a bunch of skipping, okay? And then we're going to come back to some other chapters in Isaiah next Sunday. But right now, why don't you turn to Isaiah chapter 40 with me? Isaiah 
And starting in verse 1. Now this is after a long string of judgments, much like we saw two weeks ago in chapters 2 through 5. Except for not just to God's people, but God's people over and over again and to all the nations. And in chapter 40, first one, we read this, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. Double for, what is the double? Comfort, comfort. The punishment was just for sins, but now God's people are going to receive a double comfort. What does that mean? What does that look like? We're going to see. A voice cries, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now, we know that uh, this passage is used to um, describe John the Baptist's ministry, right? But here specifically, and in John the Baptist's ministry, what... What's specifically happening? Well, it says, the glory of the Lord, there is a way being prepared for us to see the glory of the Lord. And how can we do that without dying? (laughs) Well, we'll get to that in just a moment. I'm going to be skipping around a little bit if you want to go to chapter 42 with me, though, as well. Starting verse 1, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged. Till he has established justice in the earth, and the coastlands wait for his law. Two things that we see in all the prophets, but that we have specifically seen in Isaiah thus far, that God's people are missing. They've been missing justice, and they've been missing righteousness. Now it's interesting, in just a couple of verses here in chapter 42, and these, this is what's called a servant song in the book of Isaiah. There's four of them. And they're specifically speaking about the Messiah. And here we see a lot of description about who this Messiah is going to be. We see that he's going to be a servant of God. We see that he is going to be upheld by God himself, strengthened by him. That he is chosen by God. That God delights in him, loves him for who he is. That he is going to be determined in his mission that he cannot fail in his mission. That he is a covenant to God's people. He is a promise to them. That he is guided by the Father. If we were to read on, we would see that he is a light to all nations. Or as Isaiah so often says, um, reaching every coastland. Um, Which, of course, 
No one really knew what the globe looked like back then, but coastland just meant every place that was surrounded by water. Every place is surrounded by water, right? And so we see here in Isaiah chapter 42 that this person that is being lifted up by God, being strengthened by God, that is filled with the Holy Spirit and empowered by the Holy Spirit, that is on a mission that he cannot fail, um, is going to be bringing forth justice. When we say that the Spirit is upon him, that the Lord delights in him, we could say that this person is righteous, but then also that this righteous person is bringing the law. That is that he is going to, at least we know, be fulfilling the law and making the law real and um, making us right in God's sight to all the coastlands, to everyone, everywhere. So this servant of the Lord who is bringing this double comfort um, is doing something greater than even God's first people Israel could have ever imagined. Now, we know that um, from our previous weeks in the series that when we talk about promises that God has made, usually they involve three things, right? God's people in God's place under God's authority. And it seems to me here that one of the things that God is promising through this servant is that he's going to be bringing all people everywhere into his people that every place is going to be his place and everyone will be under his authority or will be obedient to his law. Uh, You don't have to turn to all these passages. I'm going to be skimming through and we're going to end up in Isaiah 49 if you want to turn there, okay? But as we go from 42 to 49, we see this. Um, In chapter 43, we have God continuing to make promises of what he is going to do, what his intent is, what he wants to do. Um, And he says this, "But, But now, thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. Again, here God is, despite the fact that his people are living unrighteous lives, unjust lives, totally unattached from him, uh, he's saying that you are mine. I have given you a name, and I, I take you as my own. In chapter 44, we see this, But now, hear, O Jacob, my servant, Thus says the Lord who made you, who formed you from the womb and will help you. We see that kind of language, the forming language, right? David uses this language in the Psalms. And he's saying this about a whole nation of people. Continuing in chapter 44, we we see this. Remember these things, O Jacob, and Israel, for you are my servant. I formed you. You are my servant, O Israel. You will not be forgotten by me. I have blotted out your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. 
Then chapter 48, verse 3. The former things I declared of old, they went out from my mouth, and I announced them, and then suddenly I did them. And they came to pass. But because I know that you are obstinate and your neck is as iron sinew and your forehead brass, I declared them from, old, from of old. Before they may come to pass, I announce them to you, lest you should, lest you should say my idol did them, uh, my carved image and my metal image commanded them. And, and really what he's saying here is, throughout all of these passages, look, you are mine, I made you, I'm going to make you holy too. I'm going to blot out your transgressions. I'm going to take away your sin. And he also says, you know what? I've also been announcing all of this from forever ago. I.e. those passages that we just saw in Genesis chapter 3 and in Genesis chapter 12. And why did he do this? Uh, We could read on in 48 and says, because he does not share his glory with another. And let's, let's go then to Isaiah 49, verses 1 through 7. And here is another servant song. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother. He named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow and a quiver. He hid me away. And he said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. And I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing in vanity. Yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with God. And now the Lord says, he who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light to the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and His Holy One, to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nation, the servant of rulers, kings shall see and arise, princes they shall prostrate themselves, because the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel has chosen you. We see there in Isaiah 49 that the servant of Lord is Israel, except for this Israel is spoken of as a person, specifically as a man born of a woman. This servant is the perfect version of what Israel should be. We see also here that Um, This servant is going to be first a witness to God's people, although this task, as good as it is, is much bigger than that. 
And also that this servant is going to be a light to all of the nations, not just to Jacob or rather to Israel, the nation. And then finally, we're going to see that strangely enough, this servant is on one hand despised by the nations and then also bowed down to by the rulers and by the nations themselves. And this is happening because of the Holy One of Israel who has chosen him. Now this Holy One of Israel, we've we've talked about it just briefly before, but um, Isaiah is really the first one to use this phrase, and I, I think that it's only used once or twice elsewhere throughout all of Scripture. Why is that? I think it has a lot to do going back to Pastor Tom's sermon last week of the really radical call into ministry that Isaiah has received, right? What was the emphasis last week? Don't don't let Pastor Tom down now, right? What's said? Holy, holy, holy. You don't have to do the whole crowd thing again, okay? But you can if you want to, Um, right? This was impressed upon uh, Isaiah's mind, right? So what is the name that he most often uses for God? The Holy One of Israel. And again, we see that this is the one that is responsible for everything that is happening. And then finally, if you'll go to Isaiah uh, chapter 50, I'll read in chapter 52 and we'll make our way to 53 as well. 52 verse 13. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up. He shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human resemblance. In his form, beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them, they see. And that which they have not heard, they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. And no beauty that we should desire him. And he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. And uh, for the sake of some of the kids that we have in the room, I'm actually going to switch translations for a second over to the New Living Translation. Yet it was our weakness that he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God. A punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion. Crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be made whole. He was whipped So that we could be healed. All of us like sheep 
have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on Him the sins of us all. As an aside, we'll also remember what Peter did with that verse 6 there, right? All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. And what does Peter say? But the over-shepherd has taken us back in, right? Okay. Verse 7. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was like a lamb to the slaughter. And as his sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants. That his life was cut short midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong, and he had never deceived anyone. But he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and to cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life, and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant, and because of his experience, my righteous servant will be will make it possible for many to be counted righteous. For he will bear all of their sins. I will give him the honors of the victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for rebels." And this is the suffering servant song. This is what Jesus did for us, um, give or take, about 1,985 years ago today. So it was on this day, just under 2,000 years ago, that these prophecies from 2,700 years ago came true. There was one man, the God-man, Jesus, who came and suffered for all of us, for all of our sin, and yet not just for all of our sin. He suffered, and in his suffering, he defeated Satan, Satan's servants, death, and hell which no longer holds any power over any of us who are known as God's people. And just last night, about 2,000 years ago, and maybe into this morning 2,000 years ago, why is it important and why do I keep giving those numbers? You know, Oftentimes, and um, then again, I'm going to use you as an example real quick, because I see the shock in Finnegan's face when I use any number over 100, right? 
It's a big number. And when I say a number like 1,985, that doesn't register, right? It doesn't make any sense. And yet, why would we try to be kind of exacting with that number? Because this was a real event. And it was a real time in a real place with the real suffering servant Jesus on a real hill with his own actual blood pouring out of his veins, out of his back, water pouring out of his side, blood pouring out of his hands and out of his feet. It's that actual blood that many years ago that even today effectively covers over our sin. And it's interesting then that last night and into this morning, the account of the meal that that Luke shared with us, um, that this suffering servant shared a meal with his disciples. And he had this whole spy novel thing going. Why? Because he said, I wanted to share the meal with them. They were his closest friends, and actually it wasn't a new meal, right? It was quite an old meal at this point, the Passover meal. He wanted to share this ancient meal with his closest friends to teach them something that they didn't quite understand yet. Now, it seems strange to me that uh, despite everything that we have in Isaiah, uh, despite everything that we were reading together this morning, that Jesus chose a meal of bread and of wine to try to help his friends understand what it was that he was doing. Uh, Today, we're going to take part in that meal as well. And so, for the next couple of moments, and you have to forgive me, I don't have any music to play, so it's okay if it's kind of noisy, if we're chattering with kids, if we're doing whatever, um, that's okay. Um, We're going to take a couple of minutes and uh, examine ourselves. I want you to focus on what it is that Christ did for us on the cross. I want you to focus on the fact that this was a real event with real blood that really covers our sins. The babies in the back must have heard that there was juice and bread. I heard them clawing to get through the door here just a second ago. So we we got to speed this thing up before they come in and attack the table. So, so why is it that Jesus decided to use an ancient meal to talk about something brand new that was happening. Well, we know the story behind this, right? Uh, It's the Passover meal. And this is when uh, God asked his people to sacrifice lambs, uh, to paint their doorways with blood, and that when um, God passed through to take the firstborn of Egypt, that he would pass over their households. And um, what Jesus was trying to convey to his friends, the disciples, was that 
as a new part, of, as a part of this new covenant of his blood, that when you take part in the sacrifice of this lamb and you claim yourself with this blood, uh, the punishment for your sin passes over you. And it goes instead to Christ. Christ is that Passover lamb that was sacrificed for each and every one of us. And it's his blood that marks us. It's his blood that covers over our sin. The Apostle Paul uh, uh, relays uh, the meaning of this meal to us like this. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said... This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So now, I know that it seems like I'm leaving a big part of the story open. And that's because it's Good Friday, right? <laughs> but we all know what happens on Sunday. Um, but I'm not going to go there quite yet, okay? I'm going to let Pastor Tom do that on Sunday. And I want us to remember now and to thank God now for his body broken for us and for his blood shed for us, okay? So let me just um, let me pray for us real quick. Father God, we, we thank you uh, that your body was broken for us to be made whole. And God, we are thankful that your blood was spilt for us so that we could be made righteous in your eyes. Thank you for your son Jesus, who was the perfect servant and the perfect sacrifice to do all of this on our behalf. And God, we do know that we can celebrate this meal together today, not just because he died for us, but because he rose for us. Because of that, we know that this meal is a sign and a seal of the promise that has been given to us. A promise of a new body and a new home, along with a new life that we already have and get to take part in here today. God, we love you, and it's in the name of your Son that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening, and remember that you were brought into the church by the saving work and person of Jesus. Also, that you are sent out to tell everyone about him. We look forward to you joining us for the next episode of Mountain View Scattered.